Chapter 14 of The White Feather. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The White Feather by P. G. Wodehouse. Chapter 14 A Skirmish. Upon consideration, Sheen determined to see Linton about that small matter of the boat without delay. After prayers that night, he went to his study. "'Can I speak to you for a minute, Linton?' he said. Linton was surprised. He disapproved of this intrusion. When a fellow is being cut by the house, he ought, by all the laws of school etiquette, to behave as such, and not speak till he is spoken to. "'What do you want?' asked Linton. "'I shan't keep you long. Do you think you could put away that book for a minute and listen?' Linton hesitated, then shut the book. "'Hurry up, then,' he said. "'I was going to,' said Sheen. "'I simply came in to tell you that I know perfectly well who sunk my boat this afternoon.' He felt at once that he had now got Linton's undivided attention. "'Your boat?' said Linton. "'You don't mean to say that was yours. What on earth were you doing at the place?' "'I don't think that's any business of yours, is it, Linton?' "'How did you get back?' I don't think that's any business of yours, either. I dare say you're disappointed, but I did manage to get back. In time for lock-up, too. But I don't understand. Do you mean to say that that was your boat we took? Sunk, corrected Sheen. Don't be a fool, Sheen. What the dickens should we want to sink your boat for? What happened was this. Albert—you remember Albert? "'followed us up to the inn and smashed our boat while we were having tea. "'When we got out and found it sunk, we bagged the only other one we could see. "'We hadn't a notion it was yours. "'We thought it belonged to some fisherman chap.' "'Then you didn't sink my boat?' "'Of course we didn't. What do you take us for?' "'Sorry,' said Sheen. "'I thought it was a queer thing for you to have done. "'I'm glad it wasn't you. Good night.' "'But look here,' said Linton. "'Don't go. It must have landed you in a frightful hole, didn't it?' "'A little, but it doesn't matter. Good night.' "'But half a second, Sheen!' Sheen had disappeared. Linton sat on till lights were turned off, ruminating. He had a very tender conscience where other members of the school were concerned, though it was tougher as regarded masters and he was full of remorse at the thought of how nearly he had got Sheen into trouble by borrowing his boat that afternoon. It seemed to him that it was his duty to make it up to him in some way. It was characteristic of Linton that the episode did not, in any way, alter his attitude towards Sheen. Another boy in a similar position might have been effusively friendly. Linton looked on the affair in a calm, judicial spirit. He had done Sheen a bad turn— but that was no reason why he should fling himself on his neck and swear eternal friendship. His demeanour on the occasions when they came in contact with each other remained the same. He did not speak to him, and he did not seem to see him. But all the while he was remembering that somehow or other he must do him a good turn of some sort, by way of levelling things up again. When that good turn had been done, he might dismiss him from his thoughts altogether." Sheen, for his part, made no attempt to trade on the matter of the boat. He seemed as little anxious to be friendly with Linton as Linton was to be friendly with him. 
For this, Linton was grateful, and continued to keep his eyes open in the hope of finding some opportunity of squaring up matters between them. His chance was not long in coming. The feeling in the house against Sheen, caused by the story of his encounter with Adel, had not diminished. Stanning had fostered it in various little ways. It was not difficult. When a house of the standing in the school which Seymour's possessed exhibits a weak spot, the rest of the school do not require a great deal of encouragement to go on prodding that weak spot. In short, the school rotted Seymour's about Sheen, and Seymour's raged impotently. Fags of other houses expended much crude satire on Seymour's fags, and even the seniors of the house came in for their share of the baiting. Most of the houses at Riken were jealous of Seymour's, and this struck them as an admirable opportunity of getting something of their own back. One afternoon, not long after Sheen's conversation with Linton, Stanning came into Seymour's senior day-room and sat down on the table. The senior day-room objected to members of other houses coming and sitting on their table, as if they had bought that rickety piece of furniture, but Stanning's reputation as a bruiser kept their resentment within bounds. "'Hello, you chaps,' said Stanning. The members of the senior day-room made no reply, but continued, as Mr. Kipling has it, to persecute their vocations. Most of them were brewing. They went on brewing with the earnest concentration of chefs. "'You're a cheery lot,' said Stanning. "'But I don't wonder you've got the hump. I should be a bit sick if we'd got a skunk like that in our house. Heard the latest?' Some lunatic said, "'No, what?' thereby delivering the day-room bound into the hands of the enemy. "'Sheen's apologized to Attle. There was a sensation in the senior day-room, as Stanning had expected. He knew his men. He was perfectly aware that any story which centred round Sheen's cowardice would be believed by them, so he had not troubled to invent a lie which it would be difficult to disprove. He knew that in the present state of feeling in the house Sheen would not be given a hearing. "'No!' shouted the senior day-room. This was the last straw. The fellow seemed to go out of his way to lower the prestige of the house. "'Fact,' said Stanning. "'I thought you knew.' He continued to sit on the table, swinging his legs, while the full horror of his story sunk into the senior day-room mind. "'I wonder you don't do something about it. Why don't you touch him up? He's not a prefect.' but they were not prepared to go to that length. The senior day-room had a great respect both for Drummond's word and his skill with his hands. He had said he would slay any one who touched Sheen, and they were of opinion that he would do it. "'He isn't in,' said one of the brewers, looking up from his toasting-fork. "'His study-door was open when I passed.' "'I say, why not rag his study?' suggested another thickly, through a mouthful of toast. Stanning smiled. "'Good idea,' he said. It struck him that some small upheaval of Sheen's study furniture, coupled with the burning of one or two books, might check to some extent that student's work for the Gotford. And if Sheen could be stopped working for the Gotford, he, Stanning, would romp home. In the matter of brilliance there was no comparison between them, it was Sheen's painful habit of work which made him dangerous. Linton had been listening to this conversation in silence. He had come to the senior day-room to borrow a book. 
he now slipped out and made his way to Drummond's study. Drummond was in. Linton proceeded to business. "'I say, Drummond—' "'Hello?' "'That man Stanning has come in. He's getting the senior day-room to Rag Sheen's study.' "'What?' Linton repeated his statement. "'Does the man think he owns the house?' said Drummond. "'Where is he?' "'Coming up now. I hear them. What are you going to do? Stop them?' "'What do you think? Of course I am. I'm not going to have any of Appleby's crew coming into Seymour's and ragging studies.' "'This ought to be worth seeing,' said Linton. "'Look on me as Charles, his friend. I'll help if you want me, but it's your scene.' Drummond opened his door just as Stanning and his Myrmidons were passing it. "'Hello, Stanning,' he said. Stanning turned. The punitive expedition stopped. "'Do you want anything?' inquired Drummond politely. The members of the senior day-room, who were with Stanning, rallied round, silent and interested. This dramatic situation appealed to them. They had a passion for rows, and this looked distinctly promising. There was a pause. Stanning looked carefully at Drummond. Drummond looked carefully at Stanning. "'I was going to see Sheen,' said Stanning, at length. "'He isn't in.' "'Oh!' Another pause. "'Was it anything special?' inquired Drummond pleasantly. The expedition edged a little forward. "'Oh, no, nothing special,' said Stanning. The expedition looked disappointed. "'Any message I can give him?' asked Drummond. "'No, thanks,' said Stanning. "'Sure?' "'Quite, thanks. I don't think it's worth while your waiting.' He may not be in for some time. No, perhaps not. Thanks. So long. So long. Stanning turned on his heel and walked away down the passage. Drummond went back into his study and shut the door. The expedition, deprived of its commander-in-chief, paused irresolutely outside. Then it followed its leader's example. There was peace in the passage. End of chapter 14